Hi guys, welcome back to the Max Spence Business Podcast. Today I have a very special guest. His name's Elliot. He's actually the owner of uh, Can US Tax uh, Tax and Accounting. Uh, it's great having you on, Elliot. Thanks, Max. It's great to be here. Awesome, awesome. So why don't we jump right into this? Um, so why don't we do an intro a little bit about who you are, where did you grow up, and what got you into sort of accounting and getting your CPA? Sure, absolutely. So yeah, I'm born and bred here in Ottawa. Um, I'm still residing here. I went to uh, went to university here at Carleton. So after I graduated uh, from Carleton, I uh, you know really didn't know what I wanted to do. I graduated from an accounting degree. I kind of graduated with a finance degree from Carleton University. And actually, a buddy of mine asked me, uh, said if you ever wanted a job at Ernst and Young at their uh, U.S. tax division. So, needless to say, I was fresh out of university, and um, you know, this is the best option that I had, so I took it. I uh, kind of bounced around there, their tax their Canadian tax department, their U.S. tax department for a number of years to kind of, uh, kind of spe- before I specialized in, uh, you know, U.S. corporate type tax work. Um, I spent eight years at ENY, and then I spent uh, about two and a half years at Deloitte doing similar type work. Um, you know, again, U.S. cross-border type work, working with a lot of Canadian businesses that sell to the U.S., working with a lot of U.S. citizens living here in Canada, um, and obviously a lot of U.S. real estate investors living here in Canada as well. So um, after, after I worked at, at the larger firms, I kind of branched out on my own. Figured out, you know, I can do this type of work with uh, with a lot less overhead and a uh, little, little, little more flexibility on my end of what I want to do. So I started this company about three years ago, give or take. Um, it does special. It's a specialized cross-border type firm that kind of works. You know, 50% of my business is uh, is Canadians that invest in U.S. real estate. I do have other types of clients too, such as U.S. citizens that live here in Canada. Um, you know, I deal with a lot of Canadian businesses that sell to the U.S., so there are cross-border issues there. So uh, anything that's kind of cross-border related is, is is my specialty. It's a little more kind of my niche. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that, that, that's a great intro. We're covering a lot of different topics there. So I I know you like I I I've known you previously, and uh, you've done that. You're at like um, at a lot of events. So uh, what actually made you, and you sort of told your story before about how you got into real estate, but do, would you mind telling that story again of how you actually, so you're working at, uh, it's Avison Young, right? The, on, on the U.S. sort of tax side of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, okay, awesome. And, and then, uh, so what, when did you actually start purchasing your first sort of properties? Uh, were they sure. in Canada or were they in the U.S.? Yeah, so I don't, I've never actually bought a rental property here in Canada. My first and uh, first property and all my properties are, our rental properties are actually in the U.S. I started buying, I think it was December of 2012, uh, shortly after the crash uh, in New York State. Um, certainly not a very landlord friendly jurisdiction and, um, you know, but it, it is upstate New York. Um, you know, it's a high cash flow type area. Um, and the main reason I bought there was because I really didn't have a clue what I was doing, right? Um, <laughs> so the big, the, I figured, you know, the worst case scenario is that, uh, you know, it is a three-hour drive to upstate New York from here, and I can do that all in one day, and I don't take too much time out of my day if I if something goes wrong. So I've been, I bought up there for a number of years. Um, you know, the cash flow is great. I mean, uh, most of the most of the tenants, it is a university town, which is Syracuse University. University. So unless you're getting that university type uh, student. Or university type clientele, you are dealing with a lot of Section 8 up there. Um, so, you know, I mean, certainly having a proper uh, property management team up there is is vital. Uh, you know, you need somebody on the ground that can handle the day-to-day type work. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was certainly a learning experience, and that's kind of where I bought my first uh, first few properties uh, back in the day. I guess about seven years ago now. So, um, I've been slowly selling selling off a few of these. 
So I am looking to expand them more further south down to Florida, you know, and kind of capture a little bit more high appreciating type markets. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, like you said, uh, some people are probably going to find this pretty interesting that you jump straight to uh, the U S to invest where most people are probably thinking like, mm-hmm. why, you know, why didn't you invest? Uh, you, you, I believe you've always, uh, have you always lived in Ottawa? I have. I was born and raised here. I've never moved to be honest. Um, I mean, the I think the biggest reason was uh, I always understood that the the rental market is a lot more favorable on the U.S. side than it is here in Canada. I mean, even back in 2012, the uh, the cap rates were significantly higher out there than they were here. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more tax advantages. I mean, the the barriers to entry are a lot easier than they are here in Canada. I mean, in Syracuse, I was buying you know two, three, four unit properties for 20k per unit, right? I mean, up here in Ottawa, you'd be looking at 150, 200 thousand dollars at the time. Uh, per unit, right? So, um, you know, for a guy who who's fresh out of university, essentially, and working, obviously, you know, I had a job, but wasn't really working for myself at the time, but so I wasn't making a whole lot of money. Um, it certainly was, a, it was an easier option to jump into the U.S. side than it would be to, uh, to the Canadian side. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And then, uh, what, what were the first uh, couple properties did you buy? Were they like uh, freehold, you know, single family homes, or were they condos? Uh, did you do a, or did you do any multifamily? Or are you doing any multifamily now at all? So not not really multifamily five plus. Um, I've been buying primarily two to four units up there. Um, it just it just it like over the past five six years, it's just the area that uh, that you know that that that's what they developed, right? They don't really have a lot of large uh, large properties up there, and they do have single families. But again, you can get a, a two or three units for the same price you could as a single family. So. Um, End of the day, the rental the rent makes more sense to buy two or three or four unit property. Um, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, a lot of these properties were converted from single families to two and three units. So um, it just it just the market that was the area. So it made more sense to buy yeah, two, three, four units. And um, to be honest, I've never bought a, a rental single family or condo. Um, it might be something I look into in Florida, but even down there, I'll probably be looking at more larger properties, five, 10, 20 units than I would um, than I would be in New York. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And uh, I, I I know we touched on it a bit there, but uh, why would you just again just like some points? The why, why do you think people should invest uh, if they're Canadian and look to sort of down south into the U.S. to invest into real estate? Like you said, it's you know the maybe the properties are going to be a lot you know cheaper or like affordable, which you can buy and you can know uh, you know maybe like get really good cash flow returns with it. Uh, is there any other yeah. points that sort of come to like off the top of your head at all? I think it's more more of a custom to rent down there. I mean, to be honest, I don't know the exact numbers to date, but you know, a few years ago, about 60% of the market owned property in the U.S., whereas here in Canada, about 80% of the market did. So there's a lot more rental options or a lot more rental opportunities than there are here in Canada. Right. I mean, um, you know, so that's 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 the big reason. There is more opportunities. Various interests are a lot lower. I mean, the financing aspect I see a lot with uh, with my clients is pretty difficult. Um, you know, as a Canadian, it is difficult to get to get financing down there with a, without a FICO score. Um, you do there are some lenders that I can introduce people to, but um, it is uh, it is one of the certain certainly one of the biggest hurdles. Um, the tax advantages do help as well. I mean, the, typically, you know, the personal tax rates are a little bit lower than they are here in Canada. So, uh, you know, they are, they are a benefit in that aspect. But um, again, the biggest, biggest reasons that I see from my clients is, again, one of the barriers to entry is a lot cheaper prices and the cap rates are a lot higher than they are here in Canada, especially in today's market. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, those are some good points. So 
Um, let, let, let's talk more about the, the uh, tax side of things. So, you know, you have to most likely you'd want to open, uh, you know, an LLC or some type of corporation in the US just to make sure that you're protected. Uh, how would how does that work? And how would somebody go about doing that if they said, hey, you know, I've got 50 or 60 or 70 or 100, a couple hundred thousand dollars saved up. And, you know, I want to put it into uh, real estate and, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the US. So how what's sort of like a little bit of a step by step process of how, how they would do that? Sure. So there, there are a lot of different ways for Canadians to buy real estate in the U.S. I mean, you mentioned LLC. 99 times out of 100, I don't recommend LLCs for Canadians. Um, big reason for that is it's not so much for a U.S. reason. It's more for the how CRA treats the LLCs. You actually consider them to be a foreign corporation. So since it's a foreign corporation, you actually get subject to double, double taxation. So it's not the most ideal type situation for Canadians. It may work in such, certain situations, but they are very rare. Um, there are other other scenarios such as you know Canadian corporation you do it as well. So if you have a company here in Canada with the excess retained earnings that you don't want to kind of take out of the business to pay tax on, um, you can essentially buy a property through that Canadian corporation. Um, so that that's what's one option. Um, some people do it through some type of corporation as well, the U.S. corporation down there. Um, the corporate tax rates are typically a little lower than they are here, you know, here in Canada. So it may make sense in that aspect. Uh, for rental purposes, I mean, there is an election coming up in November. So um, if Joe Biden win, does win, I mean, those corporate rates will probably go up and um, you know, who knows to what rate, likely 28 to 30% compared to the 21 that we're currently at. So um, again, I mean, there are certain options. I mean, those are, those are two that I typically see. The most typical way most Canadians do it is through some type of U.S. partnership uh, down there. So an LP type structure where Maybe you have uh, you're in business with uh, with one of your partners in the U.S. or with somebody here in Canada or whatever the case may be. So that U.S. partnership will buy uh, will buy the property, um, and then essentially you know it eliminates the whole double taxation situation where that partnership doesn't have to pay tax uh, at the corporate level and all the income flows to the individuals at the top. So it eliminates that double taxation situation that uh, you know that a lot of people get uh, caught up in. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. So, so, so you'd, uh, one of the recommendations would be to maybe see if you could partner, uh, you know, maybe starting out, find a part, find a good partner um, on the ground in the location that you're looking to invest in and sort of open up a, a corporation with them. Or, and so, so you don't have to deal with the, you know, the double tax, like you were saying. Uh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. That, that, that is some pretty good advice. Um, so moving to, uh, I, I, I know that with the accounting and all that sort of stuff, it's very like sort of specific on um, what you're like, sort of what you're trying to do at that sort of point. So like, you know, different options are going to fit for different things and what, and what you're trying to do. Um, so what, what are some good qualifying questions to ask, let's say when you're going to go find an accountant and you're like wanting to find a good you, uh, Canadian based US account, like US uh, real estate accountant? Well, one of the one of the things I've noticed over the past three years, after branching out on my own, um, I noticed that there's a lot of preparers out there who are actually not qualified to do work in the U.S. but still do it here in Canada. So, I mean, they'll do U.S. taxes here in Canada, but they're actually not certified to do it in the U.S. So, there's what's known as a, a PTIN number that the IRS actually requires every tax preparer to have. You have to basically it's an extensive process to get. But um, you know, one of the first questions, if you have a U.S. tax return, whether it's personal or corporate, that needs to be done, 
uh, your first question you should be asking that prepare is, is, do you have a valid PTIN number and is it active, right? Um, if they say no, then you know they're not certified to do the work in, on, on the US side, right? So, um, you know, when I was working at E&Y in Deloitte, I mean, everybody I worked with always had it, so it wasn't a huge issue. It's not something I've seen regularly, but, you know, kind of branching out on my own and seeing a lot of the smaller firms and mid-sized firms who don't really have that specialty, um, they just don't have the requirements to do that type of work. So. Uh, that's kind of the first question. I mean, the second is really to just ask, you know, what's your percentage of Canadian tax work relative to your U.S. tax work, right? I mean, if, you have, if you're primarily a U.S. Ta tax accountant, you're probably going to do at least 75% of your work in U.S. US tax, right? Um, there may be 25% Canadian, but, um, you know, just ask a percentage of, of the overall firm, how much, how much revenue they generate from, uh, from U.S. taxes. So um, just, just stuff like that. I mean, in theory, you know, it's good to have a CPA or some type of U.S. designation in the U.S. Um, but again, it's it's not it's not a requirement to do U.S. taxes. But if they do have it, it's certainly a benefit. So that's another question they could be asking. But um, those are those are kind of the general questions I'd ask when you're picking up the phone and asking uh, different firms around the city to uh, you know if, if they can do this type of work. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. And then for, uh, let's say pricing uh, for like accountants and, and stuff like that, most likely uh, th this is probably most likely going to be for somebody who's maybe starting out um, and doesn't have the income that, you know, they don't have an income to maybe buy, you know, pay for an accountant. Uh, what, what are some like, what are some rates that, you know, if, cause you know, each accountant charges different rates. Uh, what are some rates that are like, you know, maybe astronomical and really like overpriced for the, the work that they're doing and, you know, maybe a red flag or something. Yeah, so I think it kind of varies. Um, like I think the biggest thing is that for this type of work, you know, the accountant knows exactly how much work is involved and how much time it's going to take them. So they should give you a pretty decent estimate of how much it's going to cost, at least, at least up front. Um, if somebody, you know, if they say, you know, it's going to range between 500 bucks and $5,000, I mean, that's kind of a wide range for, uh, for you doing U.S. taxes, right? Um, you know, and that's, they're probably just trying to bring you in and, uh, you know, at a low, indicate that they're doing it at a lower rate, but they're probably going to bill you at the higher rate. So, but I mean, in theory, in theory, it does vary. I mean, when I was working at the larger firms, um, you know, we certainly, certainly had the overhead that we need to pay for, right? I mean, they had downtown offices, so you're going to be paying two, three, sometimes four times more than what I currently charge. Um, if you go to maybe a more mid-sized firm, um, who because of a U.S. kind of U.S. tax specialist on hand, you're probably looking at at least 50% of what maybe larger firms have. And then somebody with someone like me who doesn't have the large overhead that, that I need to pay for, um, you know, you're probably looking about probably about 30 to 40 percent of what, uh, what you know, an Ernst and Young or Deloitte would charge. So that's that seems reasonable. So if you get a, if you talk to you know various accountants around the city and depending on the firm that they're in, you'll get a you'll get a decent uh, variation on the on the exact same amount of work. But um, again, the fees will will vary significantly essentially. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, some, what are some good resources for somebody to like maybe brush up on their knowledge a little bit more for accounting and the U S is there any good sites? Is there any good books that you'd recommend? Um, you know, also for maybe real estate as well for like good books or good websites to have a look at. Yeah. So, I mean, in theory, I, I, honestly, the IRS website is actually pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty detailed when it comes to dealing with foreigners. Um, so, I mean, in theory, you can go there and look up the various forms, the non-resident forms that need to be done, like the FERC to FERC rules around that. So, 
Um, you know, CRA as well. I would, I would say they're a little more, CRA is a little more technical than the IRS. The IRS kind of spells it out a little bit easier than the CRA does. But um, those two, obviously, sites are probably your first uh, first location to go to. I know it's not uh, it's not great, but I mean, to be honest, YouTube is actually not a bad idea as well. I'm on there quite a bit. Um, I have a lot of clients that, uh, that you could reference that as well. And at least ask me questions, right? They do their initial initial reviews on YouTube. Um, I mean, there are a lot of books out there, but uh, to be honest, ever since tax set or Trump changed the tax rules in the past couple of years, at least significantly, uh, you know, they're a lot, they're pretty outdated to be honest. But um, a lot of times I just, you know, just have a consultation with someone like me. Um, I do give free consultations initially. Um, and, you know, I can answer any questions you have. We can get you structured in a proper way. Um, and that's usually the best option is really just talking to somebody who actually does this type of work on a daily basis. So, um, but uh, any, any one book? No, I can't really reference any one book, unfortunately. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that does make a lot of sense. Like you said, with the tax code yeah. changing a lot, right? If you buy a book that's three years old or two, four years old, right? It's not going to give you the current information. So yeah, ha having, you know, meeting with an accountant is always a very good idea to have that, you know, to talk about what you're, what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some mistakes people make that you've noticed that sort of come to you uh, that have maybe, you know, maybe they thought that, hey, you know, I, I want to do the accounting side with the like the US and the Canada all by myself, and you'll maybe later on, I'll, you know, then get an accountant or something. What, what are some big mistakes that people make that can actually cost them a lot of money, like, you know, in the early years, but also in the later years as well. So the biggest thing is the structuring, right? Um, so, I mean, so people, like I, like we said, talked about earlier, early on the call that there are various ways where you can structure U.S. real estate and how to buy it as a Canadian. But there are certain ways that just doesn't make sense that you leaves you, leaves you, leaves you in a situation where you're going to be taxed, you know, double taxed, right? So, you know, most people go into sites like Bigger Pockets, whatever the case may be, and they see U.S. citizens setting up LLCs. And those, those vehicles are great if you're a U.S. citizen. But, um, you know, this doesn't work as a Canadian. So you need this, you need a structure in place that will eliminate that, that double taxation situation as a Canadian and allow you to utilize a foreign tax credit, essentially. Um, so that's kind of where the biggest issue lies. Um, that I see is that, you know, they, they go and they talk to an American accountant and they recommend an LLC or let's put it through a corporation, you know, and sometimes, it's, you know, that may work, but 99 times out of 100, it just doesn't. So a Canadian, I typically recommend, you know, setting ourselves up initially properly, getting the proper advice from a lawyer and an accountant, and then, uh, you know, taking it from there. So, you know, make, do the initial steps early ra rather than uh, waiting on the back end to, uh, you know, get the advice that you need. So. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that is a good piece of advice. Yeah, I mean, making sure. Yeah, just uh, if, if I, I guess, I, yeah, that, that is right. Like if, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it 100% and you make sure that everything's set up properly. So you don't have to, you know, let's say in the first year or something or the first two years, you have to come back and, you know, start to rework with through everything that you've already set up. And it's probably most likely it's going to take the same amount of time either way. If, if you decide to do it yourself or you decide to do it with an accountant, right? So uh, I, I want to jump to, uh, you know, a 10, 1031 exchange. I know this gets, gets thrown around a lot. Uh, so a 1031 exchange, how does that sort of work? And is there a Canadian version of it for, you know, real estate? So is there a Canadian version? And there are similar rules here in Canada. They have what's known as like replacement property. So if you have a house that burns down here, or a rental property that burns down here in Canada, you can replace that essentially tax-free. Um, but again, you can't just sell a property 
and roll over that capital gain here in Canada like you can in the United States, unfortunately. So I get this question a lot. Um, and to be honest, I mean, it's one of, that's why this, uh, this election in November is actually going to be pretty, uh, pretty important because this is one of the topics that Joe Biden wants to eliminate in, this year in the code. So um, it may not even be a concern for either of us, uh, you know, next year. But um, as a Canadian right now, in theory, the way I always tell people is you can do the 1031 exchange in the United States, but it doesn't make sense to do it. And the main reason for that is because CRA doesn't recognize 1031 exchange. So say, for example, say, for example, you own a property in your personal name in Florida, you sell the property, you do a 1031. So you defer all the taxes on the U.S. side, but you still have to report that capital gain here in Canada. So it kind of makes the so it kind of makes the whole transaction mute, and you know you're paying all these fees to do the 1031 in the U.S., but you're still paying the capital gain here in Canada. So you're not uh, you're not really getting a benefit out of it. Um, so nine times out of ten, it just doesn't make sense for a Canadian to do it. Um, I get a lot of questions as well. You know, some people have a property or a U.S. property through some type of U.S. corporation, and they think that you know they think that property or they think that corporation is going to shield uh, that capital gain and allow you to do that 1031 through the through the corporation. But there is a code in CRA Act, that, uh, Section 91, that states that as a, as, a, as a Canadian resident, if you own shares in a foreign company that has passive type income, such as rental, rental income or capital gains, essentially you have to report that income as, as if you own it in your personal hands, right? So that so kind of so it's kind of a loophole that they've closed a number of years ago, um, you know, mainly for this 1031 exchange reason. So. So, um, you know, nine times out of 10, it just doesn't make sense for a Canadian to do it. I guess there are certain situations, but just, it just, you know, unless you're moving to the Bahamas with no taxes, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense for a Canadian to, uh, to <laughs> doesn't make sense for a Canadian to, um, do a 1031, unfortunately. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense then. So yeah, w w with the taxes, it seems like it's, um, it, it seems like, if, if, if you're not setting this stuff up properly, you're going to like, you're going to get taxed quite a bit. Um, and and that, that, that's like in the back of my head there, that's one of the things I was, I was thinking about was like, Oh, what if you do it through the corporation? But like you said, CRA actually closed that loophole. Um, it is. So it seems like, uh, so let's say for these bigger corporations that like, that are, you know, uh, that are Canadian that are investing in the U S um, is there any sort of loopholes that they're sort of using to be able to do, uh, to do stuff like this or, or is it sort of like you need to, uh, um, like, is it like you sort of need to hit like a certain level of real estate where it sort of works a little bit better because you can pay for all the sort of, you know, let's say accounting and all this sort of stuff to actually maneuver it better. Um, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I wouldn't say there's, you know, there's an advantage to be a large corporation. Um, end of the day, the way it works is that, you know, where the property is located is where you're going to pay tax on it first, right? So if a Canadian corporation goes and buys a, a massive apartment building, whatever the case may be, um, you know, they're going to file a U.S. That Canadian corporation is going to file a U.S. tax return and pay the necessary U.S. federal tax and possibly state tax, depending on the state they're in, right? So the way it works is that, you know, where the property is located first, where property is located, that's what gets taxed first, essentially. Then as since it's a Canadian corporation, that Canadian corporation has to pay tax on the worldwide income. So regardless of where it's being earned. So they have to pay tax on the Canadian side. Again, there's foreign tax credits that can offset the double tax, but uh, that's essentially the way it works. So you're taxed at the US tax rates first and then can Canadian rates second. Because Canada has higher tax rates than the, you know, than the United States, um, in theory, you're not gonna you're not gonna get a whole lot of benefit. Uh, 
you know, doing a 1031 or, or anything like that, essentially. So, so unfortunately, 1031 just doesn't work whether you're an individual or, or even through a corporation. Um, so, I mean, unless you're actually formally looking to move down to the United States, like over the next few years, and in that case, that might, it might make sense, assuming we still have that uh, provision in the code. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's unfortunately, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the tax, the tax advantages are far better in the U.S. than they are in Canada. And as a Canadian resident, you're taxed, you know, based on Canadian rules. So uh, regardless of where that property is located, and that's, uh, that's kind of the key. And that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the downside that, you know, that we, that we that, that's, that's kind of the problem that we have here in Canada, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Okay. So pr pretty much like if, if, if you're going to be, I, I, I know that the returns are a lot better in the U.S., but you're probably going to have to be uh, looking for good returns on properties just to sort of, would you say to offset that double tax or is there anything that you can do to sort of yeah. stop that a, from? Well, we can stop the double tax by structuring it properly. Right. And that's, that's the key. And, and nine times out of 10, you know, some type of U.S. partnership is the best way to do it. So, you know, you, again, that U.S. partnership will buy the property, um, you know, they'll file a tax return in the United States and all the income gets flown up to the individual partners. And that's kind of how you avoid the double tax and you utilize the proper foreign tax credits. Um, so that's kind of the way I typically recommend. I mean, you know, most people, most of my clients who are first starting out typically buy property in their personal name. You know, it's not the, you know, I do recommend getting sufficient insurance in case there's any legal issues or anything like that. But, um, you know, it is, it is a cheaper option rather than setting up all these companies and, you know, filing all these additional tax returns every year. So, it, you know, but it, that, that, that option does mitigate the double tax as well and allows you to use foreign tax credits to offset that double tax. So, again, that's why I said, you know, getting it structured initially, just, you know, I always ask one of the first few questions I ask in, you know, during these consultation type of interviews is, uh, is what's your long-term goals, right? I mean, if you're looking to buy one property over the next five years, I mean, you know, is it really going to make sense to set up two or three different companies to shield the, all the legal aspects and all this stuff? But, you know, if your plan is to buy 20 properties in the next five years, then, uh, you know, setting up a partnership down in the U.S. that may make sense. This way you're not double taxed. This way you protect yourself legally, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, again, these are the questions that I typically ask on, on consultation type interviews. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah the, 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 those are some great points. So uh, if, if, if uh, I just want to jump back to the real estate, because I know that you also have a, a lot of really good real estate, just real estate knowledge. And uh, in general, you also have a lot of tax knowledge. So uh, for the real estate, what, what are some things that um, when somebody's going to like, let, let's say for you personally, when you go to invest into real estate, are, are, uh, are you investing in one sort of market right now? I, I, I know that you said that you're selling off right now to gain capital to then go uh, invest into Florida. So when you enter a market, what are some things that you do to one, like sort of analyze the market, um, you know, start building relationships with, you know, maybe brokers down there, lawyers, uh, um, lenders, like mortgage agents and all that sort of stuff. Sure. So the biggest, biggest thing I do is I find out the type of property I want to buy first. So I find out the type of, you know, whether it's a five unit, 20 unit, and I want to make sure that market actually, you know, those types of properties you know before i start doing my research on the type of uh you know type of city i want to be doing uh, buying in right so you know if, you know in south florida palm beach county Broward County, there's a lot of five and ten unit buildings um you know miami as well so that's kind of hit the hit the target that i'm looking for um next up next thing i do is i typically go down to trulia and xylo and i take a look at the different areas i do my preliminary research that way um you know i find out where the high crime areas are i kind of map out uh Know, the areas that I want to be in type BC class type uh, properties 
Um, and after that, you know, the biggest option, the biggest thing I do is here in Ottawa, there is an REO real estate group. So I do reach out to a lot of individuals that are already investing in that area. So I kind of piggyback off of them, right? So I piggyback, I find out who they're using as agents down there, who's in their, who they're using as property managers. Um, I do have a lot of clients in those markets as well. So I kind of piggyback off of them. Um, so again, I, you know, I, I ask who they recommend, I, you know, I speak to and who, who I should stay away with, right? So, um, you know, that's kind of one of the value added that I do. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I can certainly help with uh, picking a market. Uh, you know, I can look at the growth rates of, uh, of a certain city. Um, in today's market, you know, we've had 10 years of growth in the, in the southern market. So, I mean, a lot of the Midwest is a good place to be. Uh, if you're looking for a decent cash flow, a little bit of uh, price appreciation as well. You know, and if we do have a bit of a downturn over the next uh, year or so, um, you know, these, these types of markets won't, uh, won't be impacted as much. Um, so, I mean, yeah, those are, those are kind of the initial steps that I take, but, uh, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for, I've been, re you know, I've had connections for 10 years that I've been uh, kind of piggybacking off of. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, during these consultation type calls, the people ask me if, uh, you know, if I have recommendations on cities, I have recommendations on real estate agents, but I do have other clients in these types of markets I can certainly introduce them to. So, and, you know, that's what I do. So these are the types of questions that they can ask each other. So, um, Okay. So yeah, I mean, those, I mean, that's the big thing. I mean, Florida is obviously more of a tourist area than, uh, than uh, some of the other parts of the market. But, uh, you know, if, if you can find an area that's growing 2 or 3% uh, per year, at least job growth-wise, um, you're, you're going to be okay. Um, Florida's obviously got a lot of uh, older people that are probably retired and already made their money, essentially. So um, it's a little bit a different avenue. But um, at the end of the day, Florida, you know, three times more people are moving into Florida than they're moving out of it, essentially. So it's... Um, you know, and that, that's probably going to continue over the next 10 or 20 years too. So, Okay. Okay. Awesome. And, and I know that you, you said that you're actually, you're in the process of scaling up right now. And when you first started, you were probably, you're buying like, you know, single family homes or the two to four unit range. Uh, have, have, have you purchased any sort of five and above units yet? Or are you just in the process of actually starting to do that? No, I'm in the process now. To be honest, I was going to start last year. Um, I was, I had a few contract things under contract and then, uh, you know, February, March, it, this COVID stuff happened and, um, you know, I mean, my tax business is doing well, but, uh, fortunately, uh, the real estate market kind of dried up a little bit. Um, you know, there are still listings, but a lot of the listings are still having a price tag of pre COVID type numbers. Right. So, um, with all these, uh, rent forgiveness type, uh, uh, things going on right now and these forbearance type rules coming in, it is pretty difficult to find a market or find a price value for these, some of these properties. So, um, you know, I am still looking, but I haven't, uh, I haven't, I don't have bought anything in Florida as of yet. So I still have the cash a little bit in New York and I'm, you know, I'm selling those off. Uh, you know, I'm not making much money on the capital appreciation. It's more a cash flow play, but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if we can find some value over the next six months and down South, that would be nice. So. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So with that, are, are, are you using your, uh, are, are you actually uh, raising capital to buy some of these bigger units or is this sort of, are, are you personally, going to be buying these uh, bigger property units yeah so most of them is going to be my cash um i sell off my original properties that i bought in over the past seven years um I, again my tax business has been doing pretty well too so i do have some extra cash there over the past couple of years that i've been able to accumulate so initially be it'll be my 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 capital that'll be uh that'll be buying it i mean i guess 80 percent of it will be the bank's money but um but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one of those types of guys that raise capital and all that stuff. You know, I mean, I, my primary business is, is taxes. Um, you know, 99% of my time is spent on that. 
and you know, one percent of my time is buying uh, buying property here and there. And it really, it's, I just buy it. I let the property manager handle the day to day stuff. So uh, it's not, you know, it's it's just a place to park cash and a place to, uh, you know, see see your money grow, right? So. Okay. Yeah. That, 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 that is pretty awesome. Cause yeah, I, I've had quite a few, uh, I've had different people on that, like real estate's their number one business, but it's also, mm-hmm. uh, it's something you can do passively like you're doing. And, and there's a lot of people that are saying like, Oh, well, you know, I, I maybe I don't want to, you know, do real estate full time. Uh, and you know, I'm not mm-hmm. like I'm into real estate, but I'm, I don't want to become it to a full business. Right. Uh, and they have maybe have like, you know, maybe their restaurant or some other type of business that they really enjoy doing. Um, so how have you actually found that managing sort of both, you know, running, you know, an accounting firm and also doing the real estate? Was it, was it hard to do? Is it sort of, you know, is like, well, in your respect, well, most likely I would probably say it's, it's probably most uh, worth it to do it. <laughs> um, but uh, how, yeah. how have you sort of find it uh, juggling both sort of, you know, sort of worlds? You know, it, it is difficult, but again, that's where your power team comes in place, right? Um, I mean, when I first started back in 2012, like I didn't have a clue what was going on, to be honest. So I think I went through uh, like four or five property managers in the first two years, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, for, I mistakenly gave my first tenant um, my email, personal email address, and, uh, and she obviously came directly to me as opposed to going to the property manager. So every three days I had, uh, I had a phone call or uh or email from her and um, you know, she was an inherited tenant as opposed to a uh, found one. But uh, so, I mean, I mean, you know, I think the biggest thing, it is difficult, but the biggest thing is managing a property manager and making sure they're, they're on top of things. Cause you know, if they, if they're not on top of things, they're going to go over, over budget on the repairs. They're going to, you know, not, not, you know, not clear the snow or, you know, cut the grass on time or end of the day. I mean, you got to keep the tenants happy because they're the ones paying the bills. Right. So, um, you know, and if the property manager is not, is not staying on top of these things, then uh, you have to stay on top of the property manager. Um, so again, I, you know, the biggest thing for me is that you make sure you get a P&L every year or every month, sorry, um, you know, for every property that you own. Because I have an ad clients that go months without getting a profit and loss statement. And, uh, you know, I mean, they come back and they see your bank account and it's clearly different than what's on the profit and loss statements. You know, where is this $2,000 coming from, uh, that was missed uh, from last month? So really making sure you do that, um, you know, you do that check from your bank account to your uh, P&L every, every month. And, uh, you know, if there's any discrepancies, you've got to bring it up right away. And that's, that's the key. It's really staying on top of these things. So, um, you know, it is passive in nature, but again, there is, there is work involved. And, and if you're not staying on top of these things, unfortunately, you know, you can't spiral out of control pretty quickly, unfortunately. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. The, 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 those are some other good, good points. So uh, I, I know that we're coming to the end here. Um, is, is there anything else that you'd like to add uh, before we sort of go? Um, nothing more than I really just said. I mean, the biggest thing is, is making sure you know exactly what you want to do. Right. I mean, I know, I know people have a lot of questions and people want to get uh, taken care of, you know, get, get all the bank accounts set up and everything like that. But the biggest thing is making sure that the structure you have in place kind of aligns to your ultimate goals, right? I mean, if you're, if you're going to be flipping property or you're going to be wholesaling property or you're going to be, you know, renting for long term, whatever the case may be, maybe different types of structures that you need to, you need to look at. But, um, you know, it's having at least a decent plan in place before you kind of buy that first property even maybe, or even make a, make an offer on a first property is uh, probably the, probably the most important thing you consider. So. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, it's, it's been great having you on Elliot. Uh, where can people actually find out more about your business? Uh, you know, social media, LinkedIn, other places you're, uh, you're on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So you can reach me at uh, 
or my website is ken-ustax.com. Um, or you can just send me an e email, to be honest. So Elliot Millick at can-ustax.com. Those are probably the best uh, three ways to get a hold of me. Or, you know, you can find me on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook. I'm always on there. So, uh, yeah. Always get, or you can get a hold of you as well. So, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, good. Perfect. It's 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 been great having you on, Elliot. Um, and, and and I wish you all the best, man.